So I have completely not answered the question, but I guess what are your thoughts, Anita? It's all right. I got it. I got this. Perfect. Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And And you're you're listening listening to the the Salesforce Salesforce for Everyone podcast. podcast. In today's episode, Anita finds a new perspective on helping business owners pivot into Salesforce careers. I'm thinking back and I need to like adjust the advice I've given people. Also, Brad helps Salesforce freshers start things right by setting boundaries that work for them. And they know that time is our most limited resource in life, period. But they don't act on that. They go the other way and they get 50 and 60 hour a week jobs. It doesn't have to be like that. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In the last couple of episodes, we have been answering questions from you guys, the audience. And last episode, we focused on those sort of intermediate level questions for people who are probably two to three months into this process of working towards landing a Salesforce job. We answered a lot of questions that are probably coming right as you are about to get certified or you're already certified looking for your first job, going through interviews and things like that. In this episode, we are going to move forward a step into answering questions from individuals who have already landed that first Salesforce job. And they still have some questions about how do I get the income levels that you guys are talking about? And maybe some things they wish they would have asked before they got that first job. So with me today to answer these questions, we have Anita Smith. How's it going, Anita? Hey, it's going pretty well. How about yourself? Yeah, things are going good on my end. Once again, I'm really enjoying these episodes where we're answering questions. It's kind of fun because as you know, We answer these questions all the time. So it's nice to have a way to direct people back to, here's the answer to all those questions that you're asking all the time. Listen to these episodes and it's going to cover all of those for you. So yeah, I enjoy these. I'm excited about this one because these are probably questions more aligned to where I'm at in my career. So I might actually throw in a couple of my own, but why don't we go ahead and get started? So the first question What if I'm already a Salesforce pro looking to make more money because I'm not making the numbers you're mentioning? Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, you know, how much you can make as a Salesforce professional. And, you know, in the first job, when you're entry level, truly, you know, you have no experience and you're coming into that first job, we're seeing numbers, you know, 70 to 75,000 right in there for those entry level positions. But what happens is when you go from job number one to, you know, maybe you've got a year of experience, you know, typically we would see you making somewhere between 80 and $90,000 typically. And then once you get two years experience, you're probably going to be somewhere between maybe a 90 to 110. And it keeps going upwards from there. I would say the natural plateau that I've seen right now has been, you know, around five to seven years experience. You're going to cap out probably around 130 to 100 and maybe 50 or 60,000 unless you decide to go into management roles or directing a team or you know just taking on more responsibility for the company obviously that might change over time so we'll see how you know that ages but a lot of people you know we hear from are in salesforce jobs and they're going i have been here for 2 years or 3 years or 5 years and i am not making that kind of money and typically it's because they just didn't know like they landed a job they got that entry level job They didn't know a whole lot about Salesforce and they kind of fell into it. And now they're looking up a few years later, realizing, whoa, I'm way underpaid and I'm not really sure how to get to the pay scales you guys are talking about. So to actually answer the question, how do we get there? So the first thing would be, I think, having a conversation with your existing employer. I try not to advise people to just go out and look for another job immediately. 
it's very hard for employers to find quality Salesforce talent that understands the company and fits in well with the coworkers and things like that. So the first thing I would do is probably just make sure you're confident with your skills and comfortable with what the market is paying and confident that you could go interview for other jobs and get to the levels we're talking about. And we'll talk about how to get there um, and what you might want to have as tangible skills that would indicate you're ready for those pay scales. But I would, I would advise definitely talk to your employer and see if there's an opportunity for a pay raise and even talk to them about what performance indicators there might be for you advancing into a pay scale. So don't go in there and like demand a raise, but you might talk about how you can perform over the next three to six months and that you would be guaranteed a raise if you reach certain metrics and things like that. Now, of course, you can just start, you know, go on LinkedIn jobs, make sure your LinkedIn profile looks amazing, like we've talked about during the show and like we have in our LinkedIn optimization guide. Just make sure everything's updated, your resume looks good, your LinkedIn profile looks good and start applying for jobs. And likely you can job hop and go demand the current market prices right now. So I know I went on for a while. So what do you think, Anita? Yeah, so my story is a little different with the salary because I got really lucky and landed one of those jobs that were paying like six figures. But because I started at a higher salary range, I was able to jump, like get a salary increase faster than the the normal route, which is kind of ridiculous to say like a couple of years. So for my case in particular, I went the route you said and I mean, I did a little shopping around to get a feel of what the market rate was. And then I went up to my my current boss and reached out to him for a raise, which he initially came back with something not very intriguing. And he could hear it in my voice. I let him know that like what the market rate currently is. So he came back with a, a much juicier, I guess, amount. Um, it was about a, a 20K increase. So I was really happy about that. But um, going back to what you said at the very beginning about job hopping, it's not just a Salesforce career. Like most careers in general, if you get comfortable and you stick with your company, you're going to get like 1%, 2% raises each year. This is like standard for most industries. Like when you switch companies, you're actually you know bringing the new company a lot of value. So that's how you get those pay increases. It's just in tech, it's just like, 10 times. It's, it's, it's really crazy the, the amounts, the salary jump. So yeah, definitely try to negotiate with your current company first. I recommend, you know, coming prepared. Your boss doesn't know every little single thing that you're doing. So you need to present that, like have it written down and present it to them because you might be doing a bunch of extra work that no one knows like you're actually doing it, but it is vital to make your company run smoothly. So that is like one way to ask for an increase. Yeah, it's it's true. And to your point, you know, with your company not understanding all the value that you bring, I recommend to people who are starting their Salesforce careers to get used to journaling like weekly or every other week and just journal like the types of things you're working on, how you're growing as a professional and what you're adding to the company, especially from like a quantitative perspective. Like we worked on this project, it had this percent impact on this department, those kind of things. Maybe if you're working in service, for instance, you know, people are emailing in issues that are happening. And before we did this particular project, it used to take 72 hours on average to close one of these tickets. And now it only takes 24 hours to close a ticket. So customer success is much higher because we're able to work with them. And so 
I think too, to your point, if the employer doesn't know, I think we often forget if we look up a year later, we often forget about all those very meaningful projects we worked on week by week and month over month and the impact that we had because we're focused on what we're doing now. We kind of forgot how important we were for that project earlier. So I would say even just journaling, just what did you work on this week? What impact is that going to have? You know, what are you doing to tangibly improve yourself as an employee? And just keep tracking that. Are you working on the next certification? Are you taking some courses on the side about time management, about better habits, about how to be more efficient with your time? Maybe you're automating you know, your emails or you're doing a better job organizing your emails and things like that. Just whatever it is, whatever you're trying to do to improve your ability to get things done for your company, that's what they're going to care about. And that's how you're going to differentiate yourself. In Salesforce specifically, I would also say that it looks weird when somebody says, I've got two years of experience or three years of experience, and maybe you only have one certification. It can be an indicator of how much you're challenging yourself, especially in Salesforce specifically, because a lot of people have one certification. Most people have one certification before they even land their first job. So by the time they're two years in, I would almost expect you to be getting even base level a couple of certifications a year is not unusual. And for go-getters, I mean, we've seen people get crazy amounts of certifications. So that's at least one way to separate yourself. So that leads me to the next question. Which certification should I get next? Which I have to ask because I only currently have one certification and I'm a year and a half in. So I should probably be thinking about my next cert. Yeah, I, I think it's important to be thinking in that way because, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of certification hoarding and just getting as many as you can. Cause I, I think at some point it's a waste of time and, you know, coming from an economics background, there's a diminishing marginal return on the certifications that you're getting. And at some point I've seen this happen a lot where people just, they have 20 certifications or 30 certifications. And it's like, why, like, are you getting paid double, triple, quadruple? Like, do you feel double, triple, quadruple skilled in what you're doing? Probably not, but you're just doing it because it, it's easy to just get in a habit of study the trails, take the practice exams, try for the certification, and it feels tangible like you're doing something. Now, as far as which certifications would I get next, typically the first certification you'll get is that Salesforce administrator certification. And I would recommend that for really anyone, whether you want to be a, a dev or an analyst or an admin or a consultant or whatever else, I would recommend getting the admin certification first. But second, right now, currently, I would say platform app builder. And then I would probably recommend going towards sales cloud and service cloud, maybe UX designer, depending on what you're into, but they will be releasing the business analyst certification. It is supposed to be late 2022. So I'm really excited about that one. So my, my advice may change. I think once they release the business analyst certification, my advice is going to be get the admin cert and then get the business analyst cert because those are going to be really meaningful to employers. Yeah, I mean, that's the one I'm waiting for and I plan on getting that as my second cert. But uh, I wanted to go back, like getting amount of certs, like there's not much value. That's not completely true. So like if you're working for a consultancy, one of the big ones, a lot of them will base your raises or have goals for you to get additional certs. I know one company, they'll give you like, a $5,000 increase for each additional cert you get. I'm assuming there is a cap on that. <laughs> that would be insane for the people with like 20X, 30X certs. But like a lot of consultancies, they do this because they are a Salesforce partner consultancy and Salesforce 
the way that the levels of the partnerships work is you can get points and you can earn points by the number of certifications you have at your company. So that helps you bring up your level. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know they've, they've renamed it. It used to be like gold and platinum. I think the names have changed within the past year. But yeah, so that's one reason someone might have many certifications. You're right. You're right. It's a good point. And we we have seen that where people, especially in consulting, like you mentioned, where their partner score is impacted by the number of certifications their employees have. So you might get a deal where, you know, and I, I would recommend negotiating that too, especially if you start with a consultancy. If you feel like you got lowballed a little bit, maybe negotiate for a raise, you know, $5,000 raise with the next certification you get. And yeah, I, I typically see that limited, like three certifications a year or something like that, where you can get those raises. But you're right, that's a big deal. You could get, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 raises just based on certifications you're getting. And that makes all the difference. And if you're doing that, that's cool. Like if you're getting certifications that align with your expertise and they align with your pay, like your employer is respecting that, I'd be all over it. Yeah, it's mainly just those people who, you know, they get trapped in the the hamster wheel of certification, certification, certification. It's almost how they identify as what meaning they have in the Salesforce ecosystem is based on how many certifications they have, that kind of thing. I'll say too, you know, going back a question, you know, making money, making more money at a company, there are other ways too, right? Like it's not just your certifications. The biggest thing that impacts your pay is your experience. The certifications are definitely going to influence your pay and how much an employer respects you. But you always need to be working on your interview skills. Also, I would say it's something that people overlook and they only do it when they're looking for a job. But I would say just, you know, freshening up every quarter, maybe every two to three months and just, you know, practicing interviews and testing yourself and making sure you you actually feel confident walking into those scenarios because you never know when you're going to go to a meetup or, you know, a dream force or something like that and talk to somebody. And if you're not comfortable talking about your value, there's a chance you could have talked to somebody who would have offered you a dream job, but you just weren't in this that that mind space where you enjoy talking about how valuable you are. Oh, that's a good point. I have not been doing that at all. Every quarter, who has that much free time? I don't think it takes long. Like, I don't think it has to take long. You just have to know what to do. Typically, it's just your pitch. Like, tell me a little something about yourself. Like, I had somebody walk up to me at a meetup I went to recently, and they were saying how they were struggling to land a job and they were an entrepreneur. So they own their own business. She was a physical trainer. So I'm sure she knows I'm talking about her. I won't name her, but she'll know who she is. And she's a physical trainer, owns her own business. And she was looking for a Salesforce job. She'd recently been admin certified. And she was telling me, you know, I've been looking for a job for months and I can't find anything. What am I doing wrong? And I said, okay, show me your LinkedIn profile. So we pulled up her LinkedIn profile and she was listed her most recent experience was a year and a half of business owner and you know had no quantitative data about what she adds to the business as the owner you don't feel like you need to put that right but you do like if you're looking for a job people need to know who you are so by the time we got done talking my advice to her was don't list yourself as the owner a lot of times people overlook that especially that they go okay yeah you're the owner like i could create an llc tomorrow list myself as the owner and say i've been there 2 years and there's no one going to validate that right i could say whatever i want if i'm the owner of the business so i said list yourself as the crm and marketing automation specialist at this company because the fact is she runs a crm system for the company she has a marketing automation platform that she uses for automating emails and and funnels and things like that but she's underselling herself as a tech, you know, a Salesforce CRM specialist by saying she's a business owner. 
and she needs to highlight, you know, we were able to increase lead generation by 30% by implementing a process for a project that I worked on. We were able to streamline this particular process for customers reaching out to us with questions by implementing this functionality in the CRM. And even though it's not Salesforce experience, all of a sudden, most business owners have business process experience and they work with a stack of tech tools that they don't realize how valuable that is. And that impacted her pitch also. So when I said, what do you say to companies when they say, tell me something about yourself? And she starts off, well, I I own my own business. I'm an entrepreneur. And that's not what they want to hear, right? They need a Salesforce expert because that's what they're hiring for. And the last thing I'll say on this is that, especially for business owners, that doesn't always look good because people with that entrepreneurial spirit are often the first ones to quit when their business does start to get some traction, or they're the first ones to be working on generating business for their business and not 100% focused on doing what needs to be done for the company. And so, you know, having I'm a business owner on your LinkedIn profile and resume and talking about that in interviews could really be like a quick ticket to get passed on. Even if you're really skilled, it could be a risk if they think you're going to quit because your business is going to do well. You're a sharp person and you may be going through a slump right now, but you're going to do great. And then we're going to lose you immediately. So yeah, it's just a lot of things to think about, especially for people who are trying to do their own side hustle businesses. And they list that. I'm like thinking back and I need to like adjust the advice I've given people because in my mindset, I'm like, oh, this person, you know, they've owned a business. So they have that like ownership mindset. So they'll probably be a better employee because they're thinking of like all the outside things you think of when you're the owner of a business. But yeah, you make a very good point. Yeah. So showcase that value, right? Like highlight that specific value, how you think outside the box, but there's no need to say you're doing it as your own entity, as your own business, basically. So this next question, I actually do have this question myself. How can I advance my career? Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with this question because I think a lot of times, just societally, we box in what advancing means and what, what it means to be successful in a career. So the first question I like to ask people is, you're probably not going to answer this in your head right this moment, so it may take a second. But think about what advancement means for you. And for most people listening right now, they're probably confused. Like, what do you mean? There's, you know, for most people, it's I'm going to get a more prestigious title. If I make it all the way to the top, I might be in a corner office, or at least when I come into the office, it's a corner office, right? And I'm going to get paid just so much money, just way more than everybody else. I'm going to manage a team and they're all going to look up to me and I'm just going to be the big wig at the company. And that's career advancement for most people when they think of it. Now, For me, I think there are varieties of career advancement, but a few of them would be maybe getting paid a little less than that $200,000, $300,000 corner office salary that you might be going after. And you might only get paid $100,000, $150,000, but you don't have as much responsibility at work and you don't manage as many people and you have a much healthier work-life balance and you can spend time doing the things you value while still making a very healthy income, but you never move into those roles where people are leaning on you for what they need to do. Or if there's a fire, you have to be there to put it out. Or if an employee isn't doing well, you have to be the one to reprimand them and potentially fire them and then rehire. And just all those things that I personally never wanted to deal with in my career. So advancement for someone might mean slowly making more money while having a little bit less responsibility over time and actually ending up in a really healthy place. And then I would say another version of advancement, which was my version of advancement, would be 
trying to slowly make more money and literally work less hours to the point where hopefully you can, you know, only work 20, 30 hours a week or less, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever your goals are so that you can spend time doing the things you value. Because I think most people realize they just don't think about it much or talk about it much. And and they know that time is our most limited resource in life, period. But they don't act on that, right? They don't look for less than 40 hour a week jobs. In fact, they go the other way and they get 50 and 60 hour a week jobs. And they never make a concerted effort to work less than 40 hours because that sounds counterintuitive. Like everybody works 40 hours a week. That's how many hours you work in a week. And it doesn't have to be like that. Like it's your life. It's up to you. So if that's your goal and advancement to you means making the same amount of money or more, but working less hours, which was my goal, you can absolutely do that. You just have to be creative. So how you advance your career is going to be largely dependent on what your version of career advancement means. So I have completely not answered the question, but I guess what are your thoughts, Anita? It's all right. I got it. I got this. Perfect. So first you have to ask yourself, like, what is your vision? And that will be your internal compass on how to get there. Because some people really like the prestige of having that C-suite, that title, and that's what they want to go for. Myself, my vision is to be financially independent, waking up every morning on my lanai in Hawaii, going to my garden, to my food forest and picking up fruits and veggies and cooking with like fresh food, working an hour or two, go on a hike and visit a waterfall and have a picnic there, be back in time to see the the sunset and like have a really relaxed lifestyle. That's my vision. So when I run into situations where, because old Anita, old Anita was like, boss lady, I was climbing the ladder and I I was like going up. I was like, all right, yeah, I want to be in the C-suite. I want to be an executive. I want to be one of those people in like the really cool suits and, and all that. But as I'm getting older, as you mentioned before, like time is limited. I'm realizing, yeah, I don't want to spend my whole life working. I want to enjoy it. Like what if I get into a car accident or something? And then I just spent all that time putting in to work, trying to like chase money and like did not spend actual time enjoying it. So for me, whenever opportunities arise, I know we we spoke earlier about this, there's an opportunity I could like jump up in my career, but is it worth it? Yes, I get the prestige, but also I lose time because it's more responsibility as you, you climb higher. So it's really figuring out your priorities and how you want to live your life. Yeah. So I think, I mean, amazing, right? And like everything you mentioned, I think hearing what you said, hopefully will let people take a step back because I think you're sort of influenced by who you surround yourself with. And if you're at work with a lot of people who are competing to get to the next promotion or competing to get the next raise or, you know, looking for the next company that's going to pay them $10,000 more, and you see other people acting like that, you're probably going to be influenced by the way they're acting. And Again, in society, we don't see a lot of people trying to act differently because it's hard. Like when you go against the current or against the norm, you're kind of truly blazing your own trail. And that can be difficult because you can't watch a YouTube video about it or just look at what the person in the role above you did to get where they're at and figure out how to do that. There aren't a lot of role models for that. So I think a lot goes into it. But bottom line, I think if you're looking to advance your career in corner office is what you're looking for, it's going to be a matter of getting certifications, being the first one in, last one out, working hard, putting out the fires, working on weekends, making sure everybody knows you're working on the weekend. 
and working long hours and just showing them that you're the one who's ready to grind to be the next executive, whatever, right? So if you want to do that, I think the path is pretty clear. Why? Because millions of people have done it before. So the path is very clear. If you want to start working less hours or you know have less responsibility, you probably need to think a little bit about what do you value in a company? Maybe trying to find a company where management is more aligned with that culture that you're looking for that is very healthy as far as like we cut off at five o'clock. We never email each other on the weekends. You know, you're looking for that. And then when you interview, you want to ask those questions like, what is your company culture like? What is your policy on working on the weekends? What is your policy if there's a fire after five o'clock? Like, how do we handle these situations? And you're looking for that. And you may be willing to accept a lower offer in order to work at a company that aligns with the lifestyle you're looking for. So the next question is something I have had on my mind for a while now, being in my Salesforce career a year and a half. How can I get into freelancing? I typically recommend, you know, get a year or two of experience, at least as a baseline. It's going to help you feel more comfortable. Now, people have done it earlier than that. I'm just giving the typical generic, what is the baseline advice I would give? If you want to do it sooner, by all means. But the advice I would give is have a couple of years experience. That's going to prove to yourself where you stand. It's going to get you some exposure to seeing other people in the ecosystem. And like, am I good compared to them? Or am I kind of like not really good at this stuff yet? You want to feel confident in your skills before you go off approaching customers about, hey, I'm a Salesforce expert and you should come work with me you know, individually and here's a contract and this and that. You can get started on sites like you know, Fiverr or Upwork, some of the you know, typical freelancing sites. There are other companies that are working on trying to create marketplaces for this, specifically in the Salesforce space. There's an up-and-coming startup called Ohanali that you can check out. But there are a few different varieties. Bottom line, it's a lot of that same LinkedIn branding we've talked about throughout this podcast and letting people know that you're interested. Like I worked with uh, Rachel Dew quite a bit. And what one of the simple things to do is just update the title on your LinkedIn profile. It says, you know, Salesforce Independent Consultant currently accepting clients and just making it obvious what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. Your posts change, right? Because your audience is different. Now you're posting about hey, this is what I accomplished. I was able to do a project that did XYZ. We can do this for your company too, especially if you're in this space and you're facing these types of pain points. This is exactly what we accomplished through this project and we can do the same for you. So you're building your brand around your value and then trying to hit those companies that have the pains that you're really good at solving. So it's all about building your brand, getting the value out there. And you're probably going to do some of those cold messages on LinkedIn and probably some cold emails where you're just reaching out and saying, Hey, I saw that you worked at this, or you're probably, you know, if you're a small, you're a small business owner at that point, you need to be going to meetups. You need to be shaking hands, going to dreaming events and the Salesforce space and talking to people because that's where all the Salesforce professionals and customers and partners are. And you might do some independent contracting for a consultancy. You might do some independent contracting for a vendor. You might talk to some other professionals and say, hey, if your company needs some help on the side, but you don't want to pay these insane rates from the consultancies, here's my card. I'd love to hear from you. I can give you the same value of work for you know 60% of the price and happy to meet with you guys next week if you have availability. So there are a lot of different ways, but it's a matter of getting yourself out there and being confident with your ability to actually serve a client. That's really great advice, but I'm kind of like, I like to get into the details a bit. How... Do you transition from like a full-time Salesforce role into this independent consulting freelancing lifestyle? Because I I mean, it's scary just like what you just up and quit your job and like 
hope that you can get a client right away? How, how do you make that transition? Yeah. So usually it's a combination of things. You'll probably end up with a client on the side. So you'll have a full-time job and you'll be whatever you want to call it, moonlighting or a client on the side. And you might be working for them, say five to 10 hours a week. And that's going to be your baseline. And what you're going to look for, and this again, this is typical. There are a lot of varieties to making this happen. But what you're looking for is a clear escape so you don't just go without having work. And a lot of times your current employer is your first major client. So you may be quitting your job, but you don't want to quit your job and just be like, see you guys later. You can quit your job and say, I love this company. I love what I'm doing, but I'm going off to do my own thing. I think I can be a major service to you guys just working here instead of 40 hours a week. I think if I was doing 20 hours a week, 15 hours a week on a contract, that that could be valuable to you. I could still be here to serve you and start training up a new employee. And so a lot of times you'll find that your first major client is your current employer that you're technically quitting on. So those are some, I'll say, easier ways to transition out. You certainly don't want to quit and just walk away and have zero income and hoping for the best kind of thing. All right. Lots of great questions. Lots of great discussions so far. This final question, which I, I struggle with too sometimes, is what are some ways you set boundaries in your Salesforce career? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And I'll preface this by saying, what what's the phrase that, you know, those who can't do teach or those who can't do coach. So I guess that's probably what makes me an okay teacher or coach on this topic is that I was really bad at this throughout my consulting career. And what I mean by I'm really bad at this is that I was one of those people where if I thought of a solution, like we had a problem on a project and I just couldn't figure it out during the working hours, and then it would come to me at like 10 o'clock at night while I'm trying to go to bed. And I would realize like, oh, now I know the answer to that question. I would just get up and open my laptop and go get back to work and get that problem solved. Or, you know, on the reverse end, it might be five o'clock in the morning. I wake up and I realize, oh my gosh, I know the answer to that problem. And you just hop out of bed and you go get working on it. And clearly that's not healthy. Like that's not how we should handle things. And it did cause me to feel some burnout when I was consulting and knowing that I wasn't going to be able to have a daughter and spend the time I wanted to spend with her while at the same time, not balancing my full-time consulting job in a way that supported having a family. So, you know, that's probably part of what convinced me that I knew the best thing for me was setting those hours and working a part-time job and getting into something healthier. But all of that to say, how do I advise people on setting boundaries? I think the first thing you have to understand is just that when you start a new job, especially, or there's a new coworker or a new project team that you're working with, from day one, you are teaching them how to communicate with you and how you communicate. And if you start off by responding to emails at 8 p.m. and responding to emails on the weekend and answering calls when they come in during the evening after five o'clock, if you start off that way, you have started conditioning them to understand how you work and what you're comfortable with. You never told them that that wasn't something you were comfortable with or you never showed them that that was something you were uncomfortable with. So you've effectively told them, I'm okay with this. This is how I work. I'm always available. You've taught them that. You did it. Okay, so like for all the people out there, this is me too. For all the people out there who are like, I get emails at eight o'clock and I'm working all weekend. Chances are you had a lot to do with that happening. And so we have to start reframing how our work life is gonna look. And you have to figure that out first. First, you have to figure out what is a healthy work-life balance for me? When do I want to be meeting? When do I want to be taking calls? And 
how does that mesh with the business? Because you want to be a good employee too. So you can't just say, I don't care what the problem is. If everything's falling apart, you cannot call me. I'm not going to be available. But there have to be you know, clear restrictions on when that's okay and what constitutes a serious problem that needs to be taken care of. And if that stuff starts happening every single week, then honestly, in my opinion, I'd start you know, having serious conversations or looking for an employer that doesn't have fires every week. So I think that's the first thing. Think about what you're teaching other people by your actions. And that's going to be the best way for you to set barriers because people are going to treat you the way that you show them that you would like to be treated, or at least, you know, you shouldn't expect them to treat you any differently if you're not, you know, showing any signs. So I hope that makes sense. What are your thoughts, Anita? That was pretty spot on. This is something I've struggled with my whole life. I've always been such a, a people pleaser. And within the past couple of years, that has slowly changed. So you're you're right. From day one, you got to set that expectation. And you're kind of like training your coworkers that you won't answer emails or messages outside of work. And one way to do this is one, whatever app you're using, be it Slack, Microsoft Teams, whatever messaging app, you can go in the settings and like set it, not alert you during the weekends or like non-work hours. One, two, also don't <laughs> look at those apps. Don't even look at them when you're not working. And then if you want to go like pro pro level, just delete those apps from your phone. Just have it on your work computer. So that way you're not tempted to look at because I don't know about everyone else. But when I'm looking at my phone, my thumb is kind of automatic. It like it'll go into a certain process. Oh, let me check my email and then Facebook or LinkedIn and stuff. And I, I can't even control it. And by then, like some of those apps, you know, the coworkers, they can see that you saw the message. I mean, if you choose not to like respond whatever, but people know you're, you're looking at the message. So that's, that's the main thing. Day one, try to set those boundaries, especially like when you, you, you take your first trip, do not look at your phone at all. Like you write that you have your out of office, you include that you have limited to no internet the whole trip. I mean, even before the trip, type up a good email like, hey, I am on vacation. These are the people you need to reach out if you have any questions. That's another thing. But yeah, definitely try to do that early on so people know like, okay, this person will not respond outside of work hours. I know that now. Yeah, those are really great tips. Like vacation is a huge one. Even if you don't mind working on vacation, like for me, a lot of times when I was working, I call it a power hour. I don't know if that's a a phrase that was used by someone. I don't think I made it up, but it's like, It's this idea that for some reason, I just need to feel productive each day. And the easiest way for me to feel that productivity is to work because it's so easy to have those tangible results, like just do the task, complete the task. Now you've been productive. Like that makes my brain tick. And even on a weekend, I like to just get in a good 60 minute session of just letting my head get into that space. And it makes me feel good the rest of the day just to have that power hour. And I would do that even on vacations, you know, not always, but I would approve that for myself. I would give myself permission to be on vacation and work just one hour a day. And that would make me feel good. But the trick is if you're sending emails or you're getting stuff done, don't tell anyone. Don't let anyone know that those things are getting done. If you need to send an email, you can schedule the send and you can say, you know, I got this stuff done and then schedule that for you know, the first one to go out nine o'clock on Monday, the second one to go out 10 o'clock on Monday, however that works. And those will go out throughout the day once you're supposed to be working, but don't, you know, be emailing and saying, Hey, I wrapped this up real quick while I was on vacation. I hope that helps because again, you're teaching people that 
you're available. Sometimes you work on vacation. Maybe if I call you, you'll, you'll answer the phone. Yeah. I mean, I know it's really tempting when you first start your job, you want to like go 110% and show like, oh, I can work like the long hours or whatever. And especially if you're pivoting into a Salesforce career from another career that doesn't pay so well, just like me when I was in hospital, I was like, oh my God, but they're paying me so much money. I feel like I should be doing more. It's okay. Like, do not overextend yourself that first week. There's going to be so much information. Don't feel like you have to work past the eight hours, okay? You're only getting paid for eight hours a day. (laughs) You're not getting paid for that extra time, okay? I'll say too that a lot of times we feel anxiety and pressure, right? Like we, we feel these pressures, like you're mentioning, especially when you're just starting a job, you feel that I've got to prove my value. I've got to show credibility. I've got to show them that I'm worthy of being on this team and getting that paycheck. Be thoughtful about where that pressure is coming from and where that anxiety is coming from. Because typically, if you are feeling that pressure, it's coming from yourself. Like nine times out of 10, you have put that anxiety and pressure on yourself. The employer isn't saying, hey, I noticed you only worked eight hours today. Hey, I noticed you didn't work Saturday and Sunday. That's kind of messed up. That's typically not happening. It's you saying to yourself, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're feeling. And you're putting those pressures on yourself. So I would just be aware of that. And your barriers are your own. Again, if we're going back to, you know, some people want to get certification after certification, and some people want to get promotion after promotion and pay raise after pay raise, and that is all they're focused on. Your version of what you're comfortable with may be completely different than mine. So just figure out for yourself, what am I comfortable with? How do I want work to fit into my life? And make sure that you're showing and communicating that to your coworkers. All right. That was the last question for this round of Q&As. Oh my God. Like This was so much fun. My first podcast. Thank you, Bradley, for having me on. Like This has been really like life-changing. I just wanted to recap the previous episodes for any of you who are just listening to the most recent one. So the episodes one through eight, we talked about how to get started in a Salesforce career and even like how to land your first job. Then the next three episodes, we had a few interviews from Talent Stacker alumni who actually went through the program and landed their first job. And then the past four episodes, we went into uh, a bit of a Q&A sessions two for, you know, beginner level questions, three for intermediate questions. And then this final amazing episode where it's exactly where I am in my career. So working as a Salesforce professional and how to move up from there. And yeah, thank you so much, Bradley, for having me. Yeah, it's been incredible to have this chance to, I think, work together on something completely new that I don't think either of us were what I would call comfortable with when we first started. And when I think about that first episode, like episode one, when we recorded it, and what a lot of people don't know is that the first time we recorded episode one, that did not make it to the final cut. We had to re-record episode one because we were just so nervous about this new way of basically communicating. And it's absolutely been a journey. It's been a pleasure to do these first 15 episodes with you. And I truly wouldn't have wanted to do it with anyone else. So this is outstanding. So if you haven't listened to the previous episodes up to this point, I would highly recommend that you go back and like Anita was saying, you know, listening to all of the episodes, but especially if you are new to Salesforce and you're still working on landing that first Salesforce job, episodes one through eight are going to be 
truly, I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but it's going to be an absolute game changer for you to listen to episodes one through eight. So definitely do that. Now, if you are listening to the podcast and you're hearing these episodes and you are getting value from the things that we're talking about, please take the time to you know subscribe and leave us a five-star review if you don't mind. And let us know what comments you have and feedback. If you have questions, if you wish there were things we were doing on the show that we're not right now, or if you love something that we're doing and you wish we would do more of it, just let us know. We read all of the comments and we want to make sure that we're providing quality to you guys, the audience that we're talking to. If you haven't already, make sure you head over to talentstacker.com forward slash start. That's where you can sign up for all of our free resources. And there are a lot of them. So we have everything from interview readiness guides, our five-day challenge that now over 25,000 people have attempted. So that is pretty incredible. I mean, I never dreamed that many people would try our five-day challenge. Um, We've also got our LinkedIn optimization guide. So everything you need, talentstacker.com forward slash start. Thank you everyone so much for listening and supporting the show. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.